Is integrated direct primary care ready to move to the employer level? And what do you need to know to help your clients take advantage of this valuable benefit? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement that helps small and mid-market companies escape the fully insured marketplace and deliver stability, control, and savings without watering down employees' benefits or increasing their premium share. If you have clients in the educational institution or the engineering vertical, go to our website at CaptivatedHealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're talking about direct primary care, and I know that's a subject we've touched on a few times and that listeners are very interested in more and more so as we tend to get into different modes of providing outcomes for employers and other clients. We're talking with Dr. Alex Lickerman, who is founder and CEO at Imagine MD, which is a direct primary care practice that's targeting the employer market. And that's a little unique from the folks that we've spoken to previously. So with that, welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me. So let's set the stage a little bit. There are different kinds of direct primary care practices and different motivations for docs to get into that mode of delivering care. Could you explain that to the audience? Sure. I think the reason almost any primary care physician would want to get into direct primary care is going to be pretty similar. And that is, in fee-for-service medicine, what has evolved is an enormous amount of work that is just overwhelming people and burning them out. And I think the main motivation for most doctors switching to any form of direct primary care is that they have become so burned out, they can't see themselves continuing. They, their lives have become incredibly unbalanced. They're doing a lot of their work at home and are really not enjoying themselves anymore. And so I think it's an attempt for them, as it was for me, to fall back in love with medicine, to find a sustainable way to practice at the top of their training, to feel good about the medicine they're practicing, good about the way they're taking care of their patients, and just to have a reasonably good living. So different kinds of practices. There are sole shingle guys, and then there are corporate guys, fewer and fewer. But are those basically the two kind of modes that we find? Well, I think, yes, there's two different planes you can cut this at. One is what we call the single shingles, people who are either in private practice or like me, come from academic medicine and just strike out on their own in some way and and convert their practice from fee-for-service to direct primary care. And their goal is really just to fill their practice with a a smaller number of patients than they're used to seeing in the fee-for-service world that makes them enables them, I should say, to practice medicine the way they want to. And and once they fill, they just that's their practice. They don't go out after other patients. They just take care of that smaller panel of patients and do their best job and and make a reasonable living. And then there are practices like mine at Imagine MD where we're interested in doing a little bit more. I certainly wanted to do the first thing. I wanted to enjoy my practice and take great care of my patients, but 
I also have come to realize that, you know, primary care is really on life support in America and a dysfunctional primary care system, I think, leads to dysfunction throughout the entire healthcare system. So I want to do a little bit more. I really think this model needs to spread in society. And there are other companies like mine that are looking to grow and actually help other primary care doctors transition their practices to direct primary care with little risk. But the way in which a company like mine would grow and others as well is not just by filling up my panel to say 600 patients, which is a fairly standard number in direct primary care, but actually going after the self-insured employers because there's a lot of interest in that space. And that's a way you sort of grow such a, a direct primary care practice. And in my mind, the real goal I have in doing that is to help other doctors take on this role of direct primary care so it spreads to society and we actually can make a contribution to, to fixing healthcare that way. And we'll, we'll dig into that in, in just a moment. There's, there's one other definition I'd like you to help us with. And we hear a lot about pure direct primary care versus hybrid models. What's the difference? So in the hybrid model, what happens is the direct primary care physician charges a membership fee, whether that's a monthly membership fee or an annual membership fee, but still bills fee for service, meaning that when patients come in to be seen, their insurance companies are still billed and typically they will have some out-of-pocket expense. And I think there's some real reasons not to do that, but that's the hybrid model. The pure direct primary care model is where the only source of revenue or mostly the only source of revenue is the membership fee itself. So the entire notion of entrepreneurial-based direct primary care docs, if not all of them, is that there's tons of overutilization in the system and this is a break against that overutilization to some extent? Yeah, it is. I, I think when you f- when you focus on the idea that direct primary care actually saves money and reduces healthcare cost, it predominantly comes from reduction in overutilization. So here's where I get on my soapbox a little bit because I think there is an epidemic of overutilization, unnecessary overutilization of healthcare resources in America today, and it's a hugely complex problem. There's many many reasons for this, but what ends up happening is that. Fundamentally, because people do not have ready access to their primary care physicians, they end up using other aspects or other parts of the healthcare system that are expensive and over-test and over-treat. So people are going to the emergency room for headaches or ankle sprains or urgent care clinics where doctors don't know them, and as a result, tend to over-test and over-treat. And certainly, economically, that's a problem because these tests cost money. But even more importantly than that, and this is where I get really soapboxy, People are actually at increased risk when they get overtested and overtreated. And, and people don't think about this, but the medical system itself can, can cause a lot of harm to patients. In fact, it's one of the most harmful aspects of healthcare itself, which are the things we do to people. The statistics on this are in, in 1999, the Institute of Medicine published a report showing that 99,000 people die every year as a result of medical error. But that number pales in comparison to the number of people who are harmed when tests and procedures are performed and no errors committed whatsoever, simply a matter as a matter of known complications to these things. And that number is 686,000. 686,000 people die every year as a result of known complications to tests and, and, and procedures that are performed on them. You know, at the level of the individual, we obviously wouldn't do these things if we didn't think the benefits outweighed the risks. And certainly these tests and these procedures save far more lives than they take. But when you back up to the level of the population, this really is the number of people who are harmed by our medical system. And so for me, the take-home point is you should do these things, but you shouldn't do them when the risk is not justified. It's the unnecessary care that we have to reduce. And fee-for-service medicine, because of the way it's structured, because doctors have become so busy and inaccessible, that is what has actually caused this epidemic of overutilization. And by some 
statistics, a full 30% of the nation's entire healthcare bill is spent on tests and procedures that really aren't necessary. And so direct primary care really aims to reduce this by dramatically increasing access that patients have to their primary care providers and the amount of time that they have to spend with them. So instead of going to the ER when you have a headache in the middle of the night in a direct primary care practice, you're actually calling your direct primary care provider who, because he or she knows you, is saying, well, listen, that really sounds like your migraine. You don't need to go to the ER, take an Imitrex and call me back if it doesn't work and we'll, we'll manage it from there. And so you get the best level of care with what I call the sweet spot of care, not too little access, not too little care and treatment, but paradoxically also not too much, which can be just as harmful, but in a different way. Well, and direct primary care practices vary in how much treatment they do and what conditions they will manage. Do all DPC practices integrate with other specialties? They try to. Part of the, the benefit of direct primary care in general is coordination of care, sort of being the shepherd through the, the maze that is our healthcare system. And that includes coordinating care with specialists. So the statistics will tell us that with enough access and time, a good primary care doctor with adequate training could handle about 80% of every healthcare need a person will have in their lifetime. But for 20% of things, we need to refer out. And it's important that direct primary care doctors know where their expertise begins and ends and when they need to refer somebody out. And when they do, the issue is they should have connections to providers in the community where they've picked these folks, hopefully based on their sense of quality and, and quality metrics where they actually exist, as well as the ability to easily communicate with those specialists. It's one of the things that's really easily lost in our incredibly complex and busy healthcare system. And that is communication. Doctors think about communicating with other doctors as sort of the last thing they do. And it really needs to be one of the first. And so that's, again, one of the benefits of direct primary care, which is that we have the time not only to select really responsive and high quality specialty providers, but also to communicate with them. Because I'll tell you, almost every time I communicate with a provider that I've sent a patient of mine to, and, and that is every time I, I, I communicate always when I send people, I either learn something, that provider learns something, and or the plan changes. So if you think about that, if, if a significant number of times when two doctors talk, the plan they have about their mutually shared patient changes, that tells you just how important that communication is. And so in direct primary care, most of us feel that's a critical part of our job that has been squeezed out when we've been in the fee-for-service world and just don't have time to, to do that. And now, a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single-source solution for your clients and prospects in the education and engineering verticals. The founders of Captivated Health have 35 years' experience working with healthcare and benefit clients, and over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems mid-market clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing healthcare costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace. Until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems and does so with virtually no disruption to employees while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to your education and engineering clients that you advise. To learn more about Captivated Health solution, go to our website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on our logo on the Shift Shapers website. And I imagine some of that varies depending on what specialty the direct primary care doctor comes from. My direct primary care doctor is, is an internist, but others just come from family medicine. I, it, does that factor into how far a practice will generally go 
before referring out to a specialist? I, I think it does. So I'm also an internist, and so I don't take care of children, and I do just some routine screening gynecology, but not much beyond that. Family practitioners tend to have more depth, or I should say breadth of knowledge in those areas, and so in those areas, we'll refer out less. On the other hand, an internist has more depth of knowledge in certain areas, and so in other circumstances, may refer out less. So I don't have data on this, but my guess is the referral rates between family practice and internal medicine in direct primary care are about the same. They're probably just for slightly different things. Interesting. So let's talk about this whole employer space a little bit. How did you originally get to figuring out that you needed or wanted to target the employer space? How'd you go about it and what did you learn in the process? So we figured it out because my business partner, Rhea, is a business genius. And as she was researching the space, sort of came to understand that there was an enormous opportunity in the self-insured employer market. 50% of all Americans get their health care through their work. So if we want to have an impact on the care of those that 50% of Americans receive, we need to be accessing them through their employer. And there's been a growing movement for employers to shift from being fully insured where they are offloading the risk of insuring their the healthcare of their employees to the, the carriers, you know, the Blue Cross Blue Shields, that is United Healthcare's, to self-insuring, where they take on the risk themselves with a stop loss and usually have a benefit advisor who is in place helping to show them how they can set those programs up. And there's many, many different ways to do that. And the reason we decided to focus on that group, that self-insured group, is because since they themselves are responsible for paying for the healthcare directly that their employees receive, they're the ones who are most incentivized, one, to get really great care for their employees, but two, to get lower costs of that care for their employees. And that's where we come in. That's where direct primary care comes in because the studies show again and again, that when these employers sign up their employees with direct primary care practices, even though there's this increased investment in primary care up front, and I call it an investment because what they're really doing is investing in the health and well-being of their, their employees, the downstream costs, which are much greater than those of primary care, are reduced by a, a, even a larger amount. And so the end net is they save money, get better access for their employees who then actually begin to like their healthcare benefits rather than dread having to even Get, get involved in them, and have they, they have happier, healthier employees. So what is your go-to-market strategy, and has it evolved over time? It has evolved. Initially, we were going to the self-insured employers themselves, and we still do that to some extent. But what we found is this is such a new category for them. It's such a new idea for most of them that they're very gun-shy about it. And also, what they do is they then turn to their benefit advisor and say, what do you know about direct primary care? And I understand this. The reason is that self-insured employers, they're not they, they, they are in the, in the healthcare business. They, they may not realize they are, but that's not where their core competency lies. And I think the healthcare system and health insurance is just an incredibly tangled morass that many of them just want to bury their head in the sand about. But what's happening is it's becoming such an urgent issue to solve that they can't do that anymore. So they turned to their benefit advisors. So that was our initial strategy. And then we discovered we need to go to benefit advisors. And, and our strategy then was to just start telling our story and finding any benefit advisor who would listen and explain direct primary care and present our business case and the data we had that supported it. And then we found that wasn't such a good strategy either. And the reason is, there's two reasons. One is because not every benefit advisor is created equal the same way not every physician is created equal. And some are more innovative and interested in pursuing new, interesting, beneficial ideas than others. But also benefit advisors, especially with the large groups, really have a disincentive to innovate. And that's because when they 
renegotiate every year the premium increase with the carriers in the in the fully insured world, they make money that way. And so to take their their clients, their self their employers self insured, they're gonna have to find a new business model, a new revenue model. And it actually exists out there. And many benefit advisors we've talked to have said they were just tired of of renegotiating a premium increase every year and, and taking them from 20% down to 9% and considering that a victory, feeling that they really were not serving their clients and wanted to try something new. And so what, what happened was we discovered this group of really innovative benefit consultants who are really wanting to do good as well as do well financially and have abandoned or are in the process of abandoning the standard, let's just renegotiate a, a better rate every year and are really trying some innovative things and are willing to change the way they get paid, become transparent in the way they get paid. And those are the benefit advisors who are fascinated and interested in in the direct primary care model and wanting to spread it around. And so we found that group and made ourselves a large target. And we, we changed our strategy from going after benefit advisors, anyone we could find to tell our story, to letting the innovative ones now come to us and, le- and, and then we educate them about the model and, and help them sort of implement it where they can or, or, or get ready to implement it. And actually even, frankly, help them procure new business with employers who are also tired of the same old, let's just you know get a 9% premium increase year after year with the Blue Cross Blue Shields of the world. Let's try something new. And so we're looking for those innovative benefit advisors, those innovative companies that are tired of the status quo and, and recognize it cannot be sustained. When you do have these conversations with benefit advisors or you accompany them or you talk with their clients, are the employers only really interested in in cost reductions or are they starting to shift their focus as well? Yeah, it's been really interesting. So it varies. And fascinatingly, you know, we thought it would mostly be about cost, but in fact, it's not. In fact, many, many firms, in fact, there's one firm that we pitched, a very large tech firm that had a lot of millennials, and the CEO in the middle of my pitch to him interrupted me and said, stop, I get it. Direct primary care is the greatest thing since sliced bread. That's not my concern. My concern is, frankly, that I need to win the talent war. He wasn't saving money. That's not why he, we were in the room with him. He really wanted to turn health benefits from something that most people you know, hate about their companies into something that is a real attractive benefit that they can use to actually attract and retain the best talent. He was really concerned about providing his employees a great benefit and using it as a strategy to hire the best employees. And I think more and more companies, even the larger ones, are beginning to realize this is now a way they can differentiate themselves, a way they can actually attract and, and, and retain the best talent. And also because they really, I, I don't mean to be naive, but I think a lot, of, certainly the HR you know, people, but even the CEOs really care about their employees. They recognize this is a large part of a contribution they can make and, and want to make a good contribution and want their employees to have a good experience in healthcare because it's so uniformly a bad experience. And this is an opportunity for them to actually offer them something different. So as you go down the road and you do quarterly reviews or the benefit advisor does quarterly reviews or annual reviews with the client, how do you help them demonstrate continued ROI by bringing in a DPC product? I think that's a really important point. And I should just point out, not every, in fact, most DPC organizations don't do that. Single shingles really mostly are just interested in taking good care of patients and can't be bothered to sort of share data. But I just, if we're going to spread this model, if it's going to take over primary care in America and help solve the healthcare conundrum that we have, we're going to have to do it by luring 
self-insured employers into the market. And the only way that they're going to be interested in doing that is if they can actually see a solid ROI. So I just don't see any way around how a DPC that's interested in doing what we're interested in doing at ImagineMD can avoid sharing that data. In fact, it's not just to convince them they're getting an ROI, which we want to do, but it's also to partner with their benefit consultant, to partner with the plan sponsor themselves to actually really deliver the best possible care and, the, and therefore achieve the best possible outcomes for that employee population. So how, how do we do that? One is we share in a de-identified way the data from our electronic medical record. And we want to link that up to claims experience outside of primary care so that we can take a, a, a full snapshot of the healthcare consumption of their employees and then understand how, how what we're doing is working and how what we're doing is not working. So we can continue to iterate that plan. So for example, you know, if we discover that there's a large number of employees who we are taking care of for an employer who are going to the ER when we're not sending them, that's a problem. We need to know that. And then we need to figure out why are they not engaging with us? And you know, in ImagineMD, we have a particular plan with which to generate intense engagement with em- employees that I don't know that any other primary care office does, but we have to solve that problem. And the only way you can do that, we feel, is by having quarterly or, or at some regular interval meetings with all the, the constituents involved, the TPA, the plan sponsor, the benefit advisor, to, to continue to look at the data and re-examine the plan structure itself. Because here's the other thing we can do. Let's say we discover by looking at the clinical data, that there's a large number of people who are pre-diabetic or a large number of women of childbearing years. That information is really important, not only because of how we're going to approach those patients medically, but also how the plan itself is designed. Maybe when the benefit advisor realizes, hey, look, we've got a lot of middle-aged and older employees who have a lot of musculoskeletal overuse injuries. We should bundle something musculoskeletal and add that to the plan so that we're continually able to tweak it. And I get really excited about this because it's not just the primary care doc who is determining the sole outcome of the health of these employees and the financial cost of of taking care of them. It's all of us together. And if we actually are establishing regular communication, we can really work as a team to maximize the health outcomes of this employer group and minimize the cost. Well, and it's all about outcomes as we go forward. I mean, that's really become the the bright line between folks who are traditionally product folks and folks who are solution folks and, and what they bring to their employers. But that's a great place to end our, our discussion for today. We do hope you'll come back. Dr. Alex Lickerman, founder and CEO at ImagineMD. Alex, thank you so much for sharing all this information with our audience. Thanks for having me. It was a great conversation. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved. Thank you.